Hey, it's Yona Bud. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. This episode, we will for sure touch on the Prime Minister's divorce after 18 years, but not as a reflection of politics, but how complicated and private a marriage really is, and how difficult divorce that has been the attention of the entire country will be. We then take a look into why a judge in Ontario tossed a gun case because Toronto police did an illegal search. And we also talked to a young man who received some scary medical news, but refused to let it ruin his positive outlook on life. And finally, we reflect on why lose weight quick schemes are just like get rich quick schemes. They rarely ever work and usually leave you worse off than when you started. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways that we can help you make you be at your best. This evening, I want to open up and have a conversation about uh, about divorce, right? We, we're, it's a conversation that not a lot of people want to have, and it's generally very private. It's generally a very private conversation. You know, I have, you know, many patients in my career, in my practice, who uh, have, as a result of uh, changing their lives, hopefully for the better, mostly for the better in terms of change of uh, lifestyle and choices and such, sometimes find themselves in a situation where it doesn't work with the spouse or the partner that they've had for so for so long because they are not the best for each other, and they end up splitting up, breaking up getting a divorce, separation, very messy, very difficult. I've been through it myself many, many, many years ago, long before pumpkin. And, um, you know, it's never easy, especially when there's children involved. And it's difficult enough, like when you have to go to the schoolyard and, you know, deal with the the moms and the dads and the parents kind of looking at you going, oh, you know, they're the, the newly divorced couple. Well, not so much these days. They don't do that so much anymore because it's very common. Right, it's it's a much more common uh, situation than uh, most people really recognize. It's it's more common in your the kids' schools that you go to, more common uh, in your workplace. It's more common than a lot of people know, uh, but it doesn't really come out in conversation until somewhere down the line. Well, the difficulty here is we're talking about the prime minister and his wife Sophie, who have decided that they're going to separate. Uh, it's a difficult time for them. Um, and it's going to be difficult, not just for them, but I think for the whole country, uh, certainly for their kids. Listen to what NDP leader uh, Jagmeet Singh has to say about it. Have a quick listen. This is, uh, this is an incredibly difficult time for, for anyone uh, to have to go through a separation. It's a very difficult thing, and particularly to go through a separation in, uh, in the public eye. And I just want to acknowledge how difficult that is for, for not only uh, Mr. Trudeau and his wife, but also for his children. And I also want to acknowledge uh, the impact it could have on his kids and in, in their request for privacy, respect that, that that is what they've been calling for and respect that. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's the, uh, the, the right thing to do is to respect their privacy and uh, for the sake of them and for the sake of their children, respect their privacy in such a way that, uh, you know, you got the opportunity to kind of let them do their own thing. And we, you know what, here, but it's not going to work like that. You know, you and I both know, right? You're looking at me, I'm looking at you, right? We have this this thing every weekend we get together and we hang out. So we're honest with one another, right? Yeah, exactly. So honestly speaking, this is going to be really tough for them, for their kids, for their families, for their associates, I think for the country, because we're going to be focused. And, and by the way, it's none of our business, really. You know, there are people that say, well, he's prime minister, 
So what goes on in his life spills over into into the on, you know into the public realm. I don't think so. I, for me, I don't think so. I think there's a separation when the guy goes to work, and when the guy comes home. The same for for his wife as well, right? For Sophie. So I think we need to we need to give them the time and the space that they need to figure this stuff out. Um, and w- rather than sit back and kind of you know predict and suggest and you know I've always, I heard all kinds of people talking so far about uh, whether he's cheating on her, she's cheating on him, something happened, maybe she doesn't like the way he's running the country anymore. They're disagreeing on on principles, on general principles because they were you know a power couple. She was very much a part of of, of uh, Justin's uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's uh, decision process, as as in most cases with great leaders, there's usually Usually uh, a very powerful, very strong, very um, uh, sensible uh, partner uh, next to them that kind of helps them get to where they got to get to. Not kind of, but does for sure. Listen, man, you don't get to be prime minister without the support of a good partner. Right. And it's not impossible for someone in this case, such as Prime Minister Trudeau, to carry on and, and, and do his job properly while going through what will be a difficult divorce and a difficult separation somewhere down the road here. Hard to concentrate. I can tell you that when Pumpkin and I have a little disagreement in the morning, usually because I've said or done something stupid and I walk out and not feel really good about how we left each other. It's, it's not such a great day. I have a hard time focusing on getting my stuff done. I have a hard time focusing on, some of the things I need to be listening to with a clearer head, but it's hard to do that with a clear head. than when you're worried about your, your wife or your life or your family falling apart, right? So what do we know for sure? We know that it's a separation, not a divorce, according to what the, what the, uh, what they're releasing uh, after the pair described an in, uh, identical in, in Instagram post, many meaningful and difficult conversations. Trudeau and his wife have decided to separate after 20 years together, 18 of which they spent married. His office then followed up with the news that the pair have signed a legal separation agreement and made efforts in the process to ensure all proper ethical steps are taken. A part of the separation plan, um, she plan, Sophie plans to move out into a private residence close to Rideau Hall, where the prime minister and his family have lived since they took office in 2015. Um, she is covering the cost of her new place at her own expense. Questions remain, of course, in terms of the degree of RCMP help and care. I mean, obviously, the kids are going to be there. There's still the wife of the president separated or wife of the prime minister separated or not requires the proper care and safety for sure. Right. Um, And, you know, one key change is is that going forward, uh, Sophie will no longer be considered the spouse of the prime minister in any official capacity on the world stage, nor will she attend events as the spouse of the prime minister. Uh, that means that while she never had a uh, particular job as first lady, for sure she's not going to be his uh, his balance on his arm. So what do we know? What do we think? Do we think that they split up because maybe there's some infidelity here? You know, I, I uh, is there, are they they split up because there's a a change in 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 interests? Maybe they fell out of love with each other. It's an awfully odd time to be doing this unless they're at a breaking point, in my opinion. Again, I don't know them. I never you know, counseled them or done any therapy with anybody related to them or either one of them directly. But 
my guess is that this is an interesting time, very public, uh, for them to be making this separation uh, known. Uh, it's just the weeks before the kids go back to school, their kids go back to school, um, and lots going on in the prime minister's office. So are we now as a country going to be focused on what's going on with the prime minister and his wife? Versus the stuff that we need to be focused on, all the political stuff, all the civil stuff, all the public service stuff, all the stuff that we need as constituents of this country to be focused on, not what's rubbing the prime minister and his wife the wrong way. I, I don't think that's really our stuff. Uh, but we're going to be open to a conversation uh, on the 15 before the close of the hour here uh, at um, 45 on the hour. Uh, you're welcome to give us a call. Uh, give me your opinion, 877-399-9898. Um, are we going to be able to, there's a question, I want just your opinion, but the question is, are we going to be able to focus on the topic, at the, the, the chore of uh, running uh, this country and the prime minister running this country? Or are we all going to be focused on uh, his, uh, his and her uh, private family laundry? This week I was reading something and uh, I had to get on it right away. It's the article says disgraceful Toronto gun case tossed after police illegally searched man who called nine one one to report an overdose. So here's the deal: the story goes like this: Toronto uh, police show up uh, because this guy calls nine one one for his girlfriend, uh, believing that she's having an overdose, and as a result, they end up finding uh, drugs, guns, cash. Uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, basically, they end up arresting this guy and he goes to court. They go through the process. The judge throws the whole thing out. Now there's a bad guy on the street, right? And um, the cops did a horrible job. So here's the there, here's the situation. Number one, he wasn't given all, the, and we have an expert, a legal expert. She's going to join us here in just a minute. Um, I, I'm, I'm I'm positive that they will be able to opine on this whole thing much better than I do from a legal perspective. But basically what happened was, is he called 911. And as a result of calling 911, one would think drug dealer, gangster, criminal or not, um, most don't know it, but there's something called the Good Samaritan Drug Overdose Act. And it started and uh, came, came out in 2017, enacted in 2017, and it prohibits people from being charged with drug possession simple drug possession, I believe in this case, that was the intention of the law, but we'll ask uh, if they seek medical help for themselves or someone who has overdosed. Now, the spirit of the act is that the first priority of an overdose call is medical assistance, but said some of the officers in the case testified they'd never even heard of it when cross-examined in court. People have to know that when they call 911, they're going to get the help that they need and not get harassed by the police. He then call, you know, goes on and on and on. Uh, the judge found that uh, the police were not uh, were not right in their actions. <clears throat> Kicked the whole thing out of court. They found fentanyl. They found all kinds of stuff that shouldn't be on the street, shouldn't have been on the street, shouldn't be available. And a guy like this probably should have been <clears throat> charged and if found guilty, uh, properly prosecuted. My guest this evening is Melina Machia. She is the associate manager at Kim Schofield and Associates. Uh, Melina, thank you for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. Yes, thanks for having me. So um, you're familiar with this whole situation, I'm sure, right? Um, yes, so, this is our case. 
so yeah. very familiar okay. with the fact. Okay, okay, perfect. <laughs> so uh, there's things uh, there's things I know you can't say, so you'll tell me that you can or can't, and and we'll be good with that. I won't be offended. I promise. Um, sure. So okay, so. Um, crazy situation because first of all i wasn't aware of the act and i'm kind of into this stuff uh number one number two um this guy had the place loaded with what appears to be according to the police report you know heroin fentanyl um all kinds of some cash some weapons um clearly this guy's first thought had to be the life-saving of this person not oh my gosh i gotta hide all my stuff because the cops are coming um the right. intention of the the intention of the act is so you can safely do that. Does it? You think it goes beyond though when it's that much stuff and that much proceeds of crime and that many weapons? What do you think? So I think that the disposition in this case is highly unusual in that the judge decided to exclude all of the drugs given the magnitude of what was discovered. But um, uh, the the whole point is that this is a a broader public safety issue in that um, individuals who are overdosing need to know and and their family and other people around them need to know that they're safe if they are to report these overdoses to police. So, um, yes, I think it's a very um, unusual and sort of shocking decision, but the judge really had no other option in this case as a result of the prolonged violation of uh, Mr. Karapetrov's rights. And where are you? Are you representing Mr. Karapetrov? Um, my uh, partner was Ken Schofield. So she conducted the trial. I see. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. And the, so was this a celebration at Schofield so- and Associates or you kind of in the back of your mind go, uh, you know, I mean, you're representing the, the representing the the accused, so I, I guess it's a celebration of success. But um, how how does everybody feel in the office? I mean, I wouldn't use the word celebration, but it's definitely a significant ruling and finding for Justice Malloy to exclude uh, that amount of uh, drugs, that amount of firearms. It's um, we, we weren't shocked by her ruling. Let's just say, in light of the police misconduct that was uh, demonstrated in light of the testimony that was heard in court, uh, in light of a, a number of factors that we are aware of that um, we, 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 we strongly believe that it should have gone in that direction, so we weren't too surprised when it did. Um, but uh, I wouldn't use the word celebration. It was definitely uh, a significant <laughs> ruling by the court and one which the judge did not take lightly in doing. Yeah, clearly, um, no. Yeah. The the judge is someone who is of great uh, great respect, um, from what I understand from those that know them. Um, so so this what is this? What's the impact, uh, Melina? What is Melina? What is the impact on uh, other cases uh, where like are there? Is this now provide for defense people, defense lawyers to now go back and look at some other cases where this ruling will now be a form of uh, precedent, as they say, uh, or as you say in the legal field? Um, is it now a precedent for cases like this and perhaps get some of those overturned? Yeah, I mean, it is a pre- it is a precedent for sure in light of the rulings that we saw, but every case turns on its facts. And I think that the difference in this case is that the uh, police were in the apartment. Not only did they just 
not observe something in plain view, but they actively were searching throughout an apartment without a warrant and clearly looking for items that uh, the judge did not believe they were looking for. So, for example, the officer's evidence were that they were searching the apartment for medication that could assist paramedics or that could assist the doctors at the hospital with um, the fact that this uh, right. woman had overdosed. But that was right. very clearly not the case because there had been other instances and other um, occasions where the officers overlooked uh, medication in a bathroom or the first bathroom that they searched. So it, it, the judge not only did what they do was wrong, but they also were not very truthful about it in their testimony to the court. So that's also the problem. It's not just, you know, ignorance of their duties, ignorance of their role, but also the fact that they also went to court and failed to uh, deliver their evidence in a truthful way. We're just continuing a story here uh, about uh, a situation in Toronto where um, there was a gun, uh, there was a call to 911 for uh, the uh, for rescue of uh, a person who was uh, look, allegedly overdosing. Uh, the person that called 911 uh, expected that they'd be able to do so with some form of um, of uh, I guess some form of uh, safety and understanding that they weren't going to get. Uh, you know, arrested for anything if there were drugs in the house. Part of a part of a um, a law that was passed to 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 provide for that. And the judge, her name is a, a Superior Court Justice Anne Malloy, uh, found that the police violated uh, this person's charter rights against unreasonable search and seizure, and arbitrary detention, as well as his right to counsel. I'm shocked and indeed outraged. Judge goes on to say, by the conduct of the police in this case, uh, in the, it's the whole of the police conduct that must be reconsidered. It must be considered uh, in short of this disgraceful act and action. The police systematically breached uh, the, this person's charter rights over and over again for periods of hours and in multiple different ways. And then, according to our guest, who is here with me right now, Melina Makia, who is the associate manager at Kim Schofield and Associates, a law firm. Uh, Melina, so the um, the whole situation here, as as we look at it today, uh, now that we've um, sort of come out the other side of the judge's ruling, uh, what's the likelihood um, that this person that you were representing, um, what's the likelihood, and we're not going to use his name so he's not continually targeted, and that's why we're keeping his name out of it. What's the likelihood that he's going to um, be harassed going into the future now uh, because the police know that, quote unquote, he must be guilty of something because they found all kinds of stuff. How do you protect them? How do you protect somebody against that, against the police kind of coming back at him uh, as a result of the, the, the findings? Well, one can only hope that that doesn't happen. Um, and uh, the only way to really ensure that that doesn't happen is to have a lawyer on your side to ensure that every step of the way or things that happen, uh, your interests are protected uh, for things that you may not even know you need protection from or for. Um, right. So one would hope that that doesn't happen, um, but there's no guarantees, obviously, moving forward. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's hopefully nothing that... Uh, that happens to our client as a result of this ruling. Um, the, the, the client, I mean, let, let, let's look at this from another perspective. Was this also, do you think, because this person ended up um, not having to be, uh, to, to serve any time, be convicted of this particular situation, knowing full well that allegedly all this stuff was found in his place, um, 
you think this guy is going to fly a lot straighter now, perhaps, than he might have before, assuming he wasn't flying straight before? I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure if this would um, change someone's ways necessarily, but certainly is a uh, a big wake-up call knowing that, um, you know, a sentence that this sort of case attracts is in the 10 to 15-year range. So yeah. it, he's, he's avoided a life sentence um, as a result of, uh, what happened, and not even through his own conduct by any sense. Um, but he's avoided a, a significant jail sentence. So uh, that often can uh, wake individuals up and steer them in a different path than they were previously down. This particular Charter of Rights um, legislation, is this something that you as a law firm and as defense attorneys have used in the past, or is this now something that's going to be uh, fodder in your, you know, or, or feather in your uh, in your cap, so to speak, in terms of the ability to use this going forward? I mean, this is something readily available to all counsel to use. Um, the particular sections of the Charter, Section 8, Section 9, uh, right to counsel, right to be free from arbitrary detention, unreasonable search and seizure. Um, any any person or any lawyer can use those um, sections. And, and um, I, I, in particular, have had this exact issue, exact facts happen five years ago. And the case was actually stayed by the Crown's office after hearing from the first two responding officers because the police essentially did the same thing that they did here. So this isn't a new issue. This isn't something that is a, is a shock to uh, Toronto police officers because it's been happening. And it's, it's known to happen that once police arrive into a residence to investigate and assist somebody who is fighting for their life, they use it to investigate criminal offenses. And it's something that has to be fixed and has to be addressed. So we're talking about the Good Samaritan Drug Overdose Act in particular, not the right to counsel and all that stuff. I know, which is, you know, right. I appreciate you appreciate you sharing that. But how many? I mean, how many people actually know that this uh, Good Samaritan Drug Drug Overdose Act, which prohibits people from being charged with drug possession if they seek medical help for overdoses? I mean, do people you think know about this? I think some people know about it, but certainly not enough people know about it because. Um, it is something that is supposed to encourage people to report these overdoses to nine one one immediately. I don't think there's enough public awareness about the act for sure, and that's mm-hmm. something as well that needs more um, exposure and and um, awareness to the community, especially for individuals who are high risk or individuals who um, you know are, are more likely to encounter somebody who needs assistance these things should be uh, a matter of of public awareness and knowledge for everybody not just you know individuals like myself who need to know about the law um uh, need to know about all the various laws i'm talking to melina makia Um, she is the uh, managing um, manager at kim schofield and associates law firm Um, very knowledgeable person and clearly has a lot of interest and understanding in this particular case um toronto police uh and the judges i mean everyone today is so sensitive to guns and gun violence and you know fentanyl of all the drugs that are out there fentanyl and so on um you know, when people do call for 911 
and they are in a situation where there's likely an overdose, uh, typically they're going to be in a situation where there are other drugs perhaps and other proceeds of crime or other things that are that are against the law to have in your possession. Um, and to, the, to your point, uh, Melina, I think it's, it's really important that people understand that even if that's the case and someone's dying beside you, you need to call 911 and get the help that they need and that you can now see that the law can protect you. What do you what advice do you give people who live in a more at risk uh, lifestyle uh, who this might uh, affect going forward? Um, certainly, if you have an at-risk lifestyle, having somebody, uh, a friend or a person that's going to be with you that you can have, um, you know, a plan in place if anything were to go sideways um, with any drug use, to report it immediately to 911, to know your rights and to uh, know that you, the police are not supposed to come in and investigate you or your home or your surroundings, but really they're just there to um, assist the person who needs assistance. And, um, you know, that that's one sort of way is to have somebody with you that you can trust and rely on. But um, at the end of the day, have a naloxone kit, have something with you that can uh, come to your assistance and, and help you if you're in trouble. Um, but those are the two points that I can and really um, address that I think would um, prove beneficial. I'm talking to Melina Machia, the manager at Kim Schofield and Associates Law Firm. Uh, Melina, thank you so much for being here. We'd like to chat with you again in the future about other stuff. Uh, so we really, really appreciate your time tonight and uh, enjoy your long weekend. Yeah, coming Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Right? You too. You too. Thank, thanks, man. Take care. We want to hear from you. Curtis in Calgary, what do you think? Uh, what are we talking about, guns or uh, divorce? I just wanted to kind of touch on comments and in regards to, you know, human rights and violations. And you mentioned Homeland Security. And I think that, you know, there's there's a time and a place to take rights away. If, if there's a plot in place for, that jeopardizes Homeland Security or terrorism, and there's compelling evidence that states that, you know, that, that, that uh, there's a situation that may take place, by all means, but I also want to just kind of highlight some of the things that we've seen in the last few years and, and since co and through COVID. And so it's one thing to, I believe, you know, take away rights in regards to Homeland Security. However, it's, it's, it's quite another um, when, for example, you know, we, we, there, there was donations and stuff sought out through the trucker convoy in Ottawa. Now, this is just an example, but we, we, we run a real slippery slope when we start to take away human rights um, that, 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 that's not entirely justifiable. And I guess what my, my point is this, it just creates a heck of a lot of division around society. You know, through COVID, we've all lived over the last few years where we've seen people that couldn't get into movie theaters, swimming pools, restaurants, or airplanes. Now, these are all human rights, and this also jeopardized and, and was an infraction against the Canadian human rights and the Charter of Human Rights. So again, what, where, where do we get from this? I look back at the last three years and all I've seen is this entire world get more and more divided as the years, as the months and the weeks have gone on. And I, I feel like that's the, the point I'm making. It's, we we, we got to have something in place. Um, there's a line in the sand. Once you cross it, I believe it creates um, division, a, a, a state of division among yeah. us. And I, and I feel like that's 
part of what we all need to be mindful when it comes to human rights. Curtis, you know, I appreciate the call and, and, and I'm listening to you and I hear you. Um, I also have, you know, thoughts around, you know, what happens to people when they make certain decisions. And, you know, one could also argue when we're talking without getting into a whole discussion about it, but people could argue or one could argue that uh, the whole pandemic thing, uh, we'll get to that in a sec, but the whole pandemic thing, um, you know, uh, people were protecting other people that chose to be properly, you know, what they believe at the time, properly uh, vaccinated and so on. That we now are know are learning that that might not have been the best choice. But you know, at the at the end of the day, brother, I, I think that um, I think we have the difference. What you're saying, and I, I buy it, is that the difference between you know a, a civilized society and one that's not is that level of of charter of rights, that level of rights for human beings. And um, you know, I think that uh, when government and, and again, I don't want to get too political and piss people off, but when government starts to make moral and ethical decisions for us, I think that becomes a slippery slope. What do you say to that? Yeah, you know what? I couldn't agree more. And 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 this is and, and to your point there, you know, we're, we're now seeing kind of the aftermath of of, of of post, you know, COVID, where now all of a sudden there seems to be compelling evidence that everything that we lived through and everything that was that was uh, uh, you know going along with the narrative at the time now seems to be almost the opposite and depending on who you listen to but i mean there's some there's some real credible people right now you know the jordan petersons the world i mean the, the list goes on where where we're starting to see this rise in 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 some very powerful voices i you know i listen to joe rogan and stuff all the time and some of the people that he's brought onto his podcast especially over the last year year and a half are some of the most credible doctors and vaccinologists and lawyers and et cetera, you know, that, that we have. And when they speak, you know, I listen. And, and, and again, this just goes back to the censorship and, and what we were dealing with over the last few years, where that, again, was creating this, this, this divide among all of us because it felt like, you know, if you weren't going along with the narrative, so to speak, then you were ousted, which then, which then again took away your rights to fly, to go to a restaurant, swim, cool, movie theater. I mean, the list goes on. But again, now we're, we're sitting back three years later going, huh, I think, we made, I think we got this one wrong. And so I think that there's lessons to be learned, you know, with, uh, yeah. with all of this and, and, how, we, and how we go about whatever, whatever comes at us coming forward. Yeah, I appreciate it, Curtis. Thank you so much for the call. I think, um, and, 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 and for listening, of course, um, I think, you know, part of the process or part of what, what I'm figuring after kind of looking through the rear view mirror, you know, after the fact is, you know, I think COVID, uh, that the period of COVID, the whole, the whole pandemic scenario, I think just scared us all. And I think politicians alike and, and, um, and, and people who are, we look to for uh, responsible um, feedback and support and, and safe, safe care. I, I just think a whole lot of people, myself included to some degree for sure, but a whole lot of us um, just were scared, you know, as to where this was going. We're, we're kind of, you know, a, a somewhat fearful, certainly, certainly uh, unknown territory, difficult territory to, to, to truck through because who knew? what was going to come, who knew how long this might last, um, you know, so you throw up best, you know, best advice, you get the best people in the room to provide the best advice possible. But, you know, no one had really lived through that per se. Um, you know, yeah, we had SARS and such before, but nothing like this that was so global that affected so many, you know, tens of millions of people uh, potentially at a time. Um, and I just think we weren't at our best 
um, in, in terms of a society, in terms of a world order, I don't think we were at our best because I, I think we were all pretty nervous and pretty scared and didn't have a very good, um, a very good uh, program, a very good playbook uh, of what to do when the world looks like it's falling apart. Uh, I don't need to make light of it. So I think a lot of the advice that we got, a lot of the information that was provided was, you know, best available at the time while we were all kind of, you know, panicking around where this was going and what this was going to look like. And are we going to be okay on the other side? The levels of anxiety for, for, for people who, you know, were normally, you know, in, in the normal course, you know, pretty, pretty uh, steadfast, pretty, pretty firm in their positions and things. And, and you can rely on them for good, stable advice and feedback. You know, for, for those that were at their best, um, you know, many of us weren't able to find that, that best day. Weren't able to find, you know, for weeks on end, you know, what, what this all meant. So as information came in, it was, dis it was disseminated and shared with, you know, across uh, various uh, uh, media platforms through government uh, uh, portals and so on, you know, in real time, as, as it was coming, as, as we were, as, as it was coming along. And, you know, at the end of the day, did we do the best thing, not do the best thing? Uh, did we take away rights to Curtis's point? Did we take away rights by not letting people on airplanes if they weren't vaccinated or come to work if they weren't wearing a mask or into a restaurant if they weren't properly vaccinated or wearing a mask or both? Um, I don't know. I just think we are all so frightened of where this could go that we just wanted to lock down everything so that we had a safe place to come back to when maybe this would pass. So um, in hindsight, sure, a lot of mistakes were made. Uh, but looking forward, I don't know. I, 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 I think, thankfully, I wasn't in a position to have to make any major choices for anybody but me and those in my family that leaned on me for some support and advice. But beyond that, um, it's hard to look back. I got my friend Laura in Calgary. She's standing by. Hi, Laura. Thanks for hanging around. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. How can I help you? Or what can you share with us tonight? How can I help you? I feel like I'm doing my therapy thing. <laughs> what would you like to share with us tonight? Well, I'm just really enjoying the topics that you're providing and the guests that you have and the conversations that uh, you're sharing. But I have two opinions, and if I may. <laughs> please. Yes, please. Uh, the first one is regarding Justin's marriage separation or alleged separation. Um, I believe that they may have made the official public announcement recently, but like other high-profile celebrity, celebrity relationship breakdowns, the announcement may be now, but the actual breakdown was months prior with their inability to resolve their relationship issues to remain together. Interesting. So what type of relationship issues do you think they need to resolve? Or is that a guess? That's going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, there, you, there you go. Well, you know, I, I, do, I, I do appreciate that. You had another opinion, too. You, there's another comment you wanted to make, and I'd like to hear it. Well, it's re just to uh, add on to what your previous caller had made some points, and it was in with COVID, and it just seemed like politics took over and and hijacked science, economy, healthcare, lives and livelihoods when many question why there was no emergency management in place with checks and balances 
um, to protect, respond, recover, and mitigate these emergency hazards and report to the government. Like, it just seemed like instantly, it just, I can't I can't put it into words like a lot a lot know. of panic all, a lot of panic all at once eh Well there should have been better checks and balances than a scrambling yeah. government that just yeah. like the previous caller said hijacked rights freedoms everything and there there was nothing set in place for this emergency it was just shut everything down and lock everybody up and for the risk of what was a respiratory virus that was impacting the seniors, but I think the the impacts were greater with the loneliness and families not being able to, able to be together. Connect. Yeah, and that was just my point. <laughs> Laura, I am so happy you called, and I really appreciate the kind words and your 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 patience and waiting. Great call, well shared, and please continue to listen and please continue to share and have an amazing, make it an amazing long weekend. Okay, enjoy yourself. You as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, real quick here, we want to spend a little bit of time uh, on Ozempic. Um, we want to talk, if anybody out there is taking or has taken Ozempic, uh, give us a call here right now if you can, 877-399-9898. We're talking about a story where a woman is connecting her stomach paralysis to the use of Ozempic. Uh, if you're not sure what the drug is, it is a uh, drug designed for the benefit of those that have uh, diabetes, uh, but was found that it also produced or reduced reduces um, uh, weight gain or reduces weight to my, to my knowledge. Um, but she ended up with these horrible side effects, uh, cyclical vomiting, uh, stomach pain and constant nausea. I was told by the doctors that uh, these types of gastro, um, uh, gastro, um, uh, uh, What's a what's a what I'm looking for? Uh, that the symptoms uh, that the, the the gastro responses, uh, like the nausea, the burping, um, throwing up, and all that kind of stuff, is part of potential side effects. So um, if you're taking Ozempic and you're feeling like this, you need to see your doctor right away. This particular person that the, we're talking about here in this article went from 280 pounds uh, to um, uh, 200 pounds right after starting to take it for a year, and then eventually end up uh, ended up at 100 and some odd pounds. Uh, but um, had stomach paralysis really in a bad way. Um, so there's a lot of concern, a lot of conversation around this drug. That's an expensive drug. Um, she's, you know, when she started taking Ozempic, she was at 280. Now, because of her gastro issues, she's down to 130 pounds. Uh, the person is not healthy, uh, to say the least, um, and not feeling very well. Have a listen to what Tom Elliott, he's the BC Diabetes Medical Director. Uh, what does he have to say about Ozempic? If you can play that for us, Leo. It's, it's not really a side effect. It's a direct effect is that the stomach empties more slowly than normal. You know, when people talk about paralysis of the stomach, it's, it's kind of an overstatement. Mm. We know that if you take Ozempic, for instance, is a once a week drug. So for the week after the shot, your stomach's going to empty slower. Well, so there you go. So it's it's not it's a direct it's a direct result of the drug. It's not a necessarily a side effect uh, for many, according to the some of these experts. Uh, this drug is being widely used by people who don't quote unquote really need it, meaning that they're using it for the purposes of weight loss. 
which is really not the original design, I don't believe. I think it's just a, it just turns up, uh, it just seems to work that way. So if you're taking a Zempic, I'd like to hear from you now. If you're not able to call me now, we can talk about it uh, towards the end of the show. We have a call-in segment as well. Stuff is highly expensive, by the way. Now, in most provinces, Ozempic costs uh, $225 a pen, uh, depending on the, on the dosage. Uh, if you don't have a, a health care plan or it's not covered, uh, for those that have diabetes, many of those have certain kinds of coverage plans, which allow for them uh, to take the drug to help manage their diabetes. Uh, so, um, you know, to, to take a drug for its purpose is one thing. Um, re- recognizing that, hey, by the way, it does this too. And then everybody jumps on the bandwagon. Everybody's trying to get it, uh, you know, get it. Um, uh, a, a prescription from their doctor for a Zempic. And, you know, I guess many doctors who may not be on top of their game, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, will in fact uh, make that, uh, that prescription available for those uh, that don't necessarily need it, right? We just, uh, but the common side effects of these types of drugs, these kind of gastro drugs um, are not, um, they're well-known effects, right? Uh, gastrointestinal events are well-known side effects of this type of class drug. According to Kate Hanna, she's a spokesperson for Novo Nordic's uh, Canadian arm. Uh, for, semi, uh, for semi-glutide, for semi-glutide uh, the majority of uh, GI side effects, gastro side effects, are mild to moderate uh, and are short in duration. And the person that we're talking about here in this article um, found that that they weren't short in duration, lasted for uh, several years. Um, And some weeks, uh, for example, uh, he said the doctors, uh, the experts say that Ozempic mimics a hormone already in the human body, uh, GLP-1, a naturally occurring hormone that helps to regulate the blood glucose levels. So treatment with these medications causes... um, uh, certain levels of these hormones, meaning higher levels uh, that would uh, that your norm- your body would normally have. So, and the high levels of hormones have various benefit beneficial effects um, for glucose lowering met- metabolism and weight control. Uh, but among those effects is a slowing of gastric emptying. But there are likely other GI side effects that are that would explain why patients present with all sorts of GI concerns. The nausea is the main side effect, but usually is only transient. In extreme cases like the one that we're reading about in this article, the doctor says it meant a patient usually cannot tolerate the medication out of the gate, out of the gate, right? So it's, listen, not all medications work for everybody. Some medications are harder for those to diet, to, to, to metabolize than others. You can, in fact, get yourself a test. Uh, there's an organization um, in Toronto called DNA Labs. Uh, I have no interest in that business, by the way, um, who, in fact, um, have, a, have a test that will allow you to figure out, um, and there may be others, that allow you to, to figure out what drugs you do well on and which ones you don't, and which ones you metabolize better than others. So you can figure out, along with your doctor, which medications you can tolerate and which ones perhaps you can't. Uh, this woman in this article in particular uh, was very clear that she wasn't able to tolerate the medication in a in a proper way. And as a result, got very, very, very sick. So uh, be careful with this. It's a very widely spread drug. It's out there. Everyone's talking about it. Lots of people using it. Many who don't really need it, but love the weight loss. Man, if you want to lose weight, get on a real program, right? Exercise, fitness, sleep, make sure that you're eating properly, eating all the right things, see a nutritionist, talk to your doctor, don't do this stuff on your own, man. Like, like none of us, including me, like none of us are experts. 
uh, on this kind of stuff. And if you are, you would know better uh, than to try to find a quick workaround on the basic work of losing weight and getting into shape. Like there's just, there's no magic pill, my friends, or in this case, no $225 injection that's going to make that any easier for you as time goes on. Very excited to have this next guest join us, and I want to tell you his story. Uh, he is definitely someone we are profiling tonight at someone at their best um, in the uh, in the um, light of uh, very, very difficult circumstances. Uh, his name is Jordan Turco, and he is, in fact, the uh, CEO and founder of Turco and Associates, but he's also diagnosed with stage four lung cancer at the age of 30. I'll tell you his story really quickly. Uh, stage four diagnosis was the last thing he was looking for. He was expecting at a target, but a targeted drug therapy has extended his life from week to years. Uh, he was prescribed a, dar- a targeted drug therapy called electinib, uh, uh, um, and the ongoing treatment keeps his lung cancer at bay. Um, but he says he opened his mouth to speak one day on January the 4th, 2022. He could hardly master muster a hoarse whisper. I tried clearing my throat and there was nothing. He says my voice was just gone. It was bizarre. He woke up with a headache, with excuse me, with a backache that same morning. Thought he might have COVID-19. The symptoms persisted. He went to a walk-in clinic as an active and healthy 30-year-old. He wasn't too worried. After a string of tests, including a CT scan, chest x-ray, he received a shocking diagnosis on April 25th, 2022 that uh, stage four lung cancer had metastasized across his body, that there was a four-inch tumor wrapped around his pulmonary pulmonary artery, paralyzing his vocal cords, and tumors growing down his spine that were days away from paralyzing his legs. Listen to what he said based on what the doctors told him. Some of the tumors in my pelvis fractured my pelvis, and uh, they're telling me I'm never going to put weight on this leg again, that I'll never walk on this right leg again. They clearly don't know me. Never is not in my vocabulary. <laughs> I'm gonna be walking on this leg within a year, no problem. And uh, it's just a matter of figuring it out. So Jordan Turco, he is my guest this evening, this morning, depending on where you are. Jordan, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, no, likewise, brother. Um, so I got to tell you, you know, I find myself clearing my throat and I have all kinds of back issues. Uh, certainly scared me when I read the article. But I don't want to I don't really want to focus on uh, if it's OK. I don't really want to focus on on, on the, the situation that you're in in terms of of uh, you being unwell and the medical side. I really want to focus on how amazing and incredible you are. My, my you had a conversation with Glenn, who's my my. Uh, my content producer, and he said, Yona, you got to talk to this guy. Like, he's so positive um, in the conversation that, you know, Glenn was just so touched by your positivity, um, and, and I was too in terms of what I read. So I'm so thrilled that you could be here with us tonight and um, see if we can, you know, infect the world with some of that positivity uh, that you seem to, to have and what drives you forward. Uh, but I also want you to know that I am a man of faith, and ever since reading the article, uh, you have been included in my prayers. Um, so uh, somewhere on the on the Jewish side of, of things, uh, you're getting uh, you're getting your your your, your prayers heard uh, for a quick and speedy recovery. And we have tens of thousands of, of listeners right now, and they're all going to include you in their Sunday prayers, their evening prayers, their Monday prayers. If they don't pray, they're going to start, and we're all going to do what we can as a country to try to help you get better. So what I want from you 
is to teach us, to teach us how you can stay positive in light of some really difficult diagnoses. Well, thank you so much. And I, I really appreciate, um, grateful for the, the prayers because I really believe in the power of prayer and it, or, or even just sending positive thoughts and positive energy. Mm-hmm. I believe that mm-hmm. energy can move. So thank you. I'm grateful. And, uh, I, you know, I, I guess I would say that like, it's a, it's a choice how, how I, how I choose to view my diagnosis and my circumstance and everything that unfolds for that from that and what that actually means for the trajectory of my life. That's all still just a choice that I had to make and continue to have to make every day. Right. Even when it gets really hard. So mm-hmm. for example, that. Uh, the electinib stopped working, actually. And now, then we tried lorlatinib, and now we're actually, I actually did my first um, chemotherapy session uh, a couple of days ago. And um, so it's it's gotten harder in some ways, but um, I still have to choose to um, own my journey and embrace my journey because I think that um, what I know for certain is the people who don't and, and who, you know, um, sort of resign themselves, which is entirely their decision. And I completely respect that. I think they for sure are, are you know, more likely to have negative outcomes, a negative outcome, right? Whereas I know that if I choose to, to be positive and, and to, see the beauty in this journey. Like I've never, you know, felt more connected to some of the people in my life. I've never, you know, um, it's, it's, it's been a, a wild year of spiritual development for myself. I was very spiritual before. And, and um, but, uh, you know, I've had all these blessings in a way happen since it, and, and, and since the diagnosis, and just being able to see that and embrace that and focus on that. And, and this is my journey still, you know, and it's very unique and it's a very unique physical experience that I'm having here on earth. Buddy, I wish I was right beside you right now. Cause I'd give you a giant hug. Um, just trying to keep myself together here. Um, boy. Uh, so a choice. A choice. You know, uh, we did a show a couple of weeks ago, and um, just give me a minute to catch my composure. Uh, the, uh, we did a show a couple of weeks ago about positive thinking, and that you can actually will yourself well, and you can will yourself sick. And I've seen that with patients I've worked with for years and years and years that have mental health and addiction issues. Uh, so you are so bang on when you talk about having the right, right mindset. How did you get there? How did I get there? Well, like, like you got this diagnosis, the worst possible news ever from what I'm told, what I can read, but somehow you figured it out. Oh yeah. It's interesting. I, I think it's, um, part of it was my predisposition beforehand, pretty optimistic guy just in general, but I, um, I think it's, um, it's a matter of sort of, um, pulling back, I guess, is how I would describe it. So if I sort of just pull back and just sort of look 
at myself yeah. in the situation and I look at everything that's happening, I know I can't control the cancer itself. That's clear, right? With my uh, friend Jordan Churko, he is a 30-year-old, probably a little older than that now, uh, who was diagnosed some time ago with uh, stage 4 lung cancer, refuses to give up his spirituality, his family, his belief in himself, and his desire and positive uh, way of uh, thinking is driving him forward, should drive us all forward when we're all complaining about the little things in our life that really, in the scheme of things, aren't so significant. Uh, Jordan, thanks for sticking around. Um, you know, part of this positivity, you know, you talk about spiritual connection. Uh, we were talking before break here about um, this diagnosis and then how, how you were able to kind of, you got the diagnosis and then you, you, you made a choice. And then we, I think I kind of cut you off before we get to the rest of it. And then you made a choice that you were going to, you were going to do what? Yeah. So I think it, it, uh, it was a choice at the beginning, you know, with the diagnosis, but then it's a choice sort of every day, like every morning, the way I, what I say is I have to get there every morning. So basically yeah. I, I, um, I just, I'm, I spend time alone in solitude. I have to be alone. And I just, I sit there and I think about the circumstances. I, I, well, I shouldn't say think cause I try not to think too much, but, um, I think sometimes our brains get in the way, but, yeah. uh, I, uh, I look at, look is a good word. I look at, um, you know, I can't control the cancer. That's clear. I can't control what the next scan says. What's, you know, uh, yeah. What's going to come up on the CT scan in two weeks or, you know, none of that is in my control. And so I just let that go. I just surrender that. And that's all the outside world, just sort of those circumstances. I can't really control those things. And then I zoom out a little more. So I kind of get a little closer to getting there. I zoom out a little more and I look at my feelings and I just go, I can't control, you know, or, or, or sorry, I, I look at my feelings and I go, I, I can control those, you know, I can control those feelings. Like, uh, you know, I'm kind of zoomed out looking at myself in the hospital, but just going, I can control that. I can just choose to be grateful and I can just choose to be, you know, to be persistent and to, not give up. And then I zoom out a little more and I look at my thoughts because those can be the most dangerous is your thoughts. Yeah. If you get trapped in a negative mental pattern about this, like I'm going to die or, you know, oh, I'm anxious about a scan. No, no, those thoughts, that's dangerous. So I zoom out a little more and I look at the thoughts and I just think I can control those too. What I input into there, you know, what do I want to think today? Literally, yeah. what do I want to think today? I want to think I'm going to live to be an old man. That's what I want to think today. I'm going to live to be an old man, and that's the target. And then everything else can kind of coalesce it. The feelings, the emotions, they make that more of a reality, and it just pulls everything together. And then, and then as I enter, like it's like I'm pulling out, and then, or, or you know, pulling back to look, and then it's like I'm then going back in. And when I go back in. And I move all the way up through the thoughts, through the feelings that I am choosing. Now I'm up right up to the outside world looking. And I just look at that cancer and I just think, huh, I'm grateful for it. And I look at that cancer and I think, it's not going to, it's going to, it's hurting me. It's hurting my body. My body looks, I have lymphedema swelling, you know, it's hurting my body. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. just my body. It's just my body. You know, like. 
it's I'm, I'm having like a really unique physical experience. I'm grateful for that, you know, and I just, and then I just, anything else that happens to outside world, same thing. And, um, I can't control those things. So they're sort of over in that box. And I just do that every morning and I get there and then the rest of the day. But what I learned is I have to do that every morning. Like if I don't do that every morning, it can get carried away. My mind will take me to places that I don't want to go, that I don't have to go. I can choose to do this, but I have to do that every morning. I got to meet it halfway. I got to get out of my bed, even when I'm really swollen, sit on the edge of it, put in the work and get there every morning. Otherwise, then it's, yeah, then it's just left to chance or, you know. Yeah, you know, you know, I tell people in my practice every day that uh, in the work that I do, the coaching, whether coaching or therapy, tell them every day that, you know, the first thing you know, how, you know, how do you start your day? You get up in the morning, you, you set yourself up for a great day, right? But that starts with putting, and I tell them like this, it starts with putting your feet on the ground. And whether you're a religious person, spiritual person or not, just taking a minute or a couple of minutes and just recognizing how lucky you are that you can get up in the morning and put your feet on the ground and now be thankful you can use the bathroom and everything is working, everything is opening like it should and closing like it should and go on. Like there, th this whole process of giving yourself the, the gift of putting your feet on the ground, which most take for granted, by the way. Um, I know you don't. Um, I try not to. But it's that simple, isn't it? It's in it simple enough to just for those that, you know, may not be in, in the same space you're in to just kind of put their feet on the ground and just be grateful. Yeah, well, you just um, you have to start like, yeah, it's just the action precedes the feeling for sure. You know, like you just you have to you have to just, yeah, go to the edge of the bed and then, yeah, then then think about those things and um and and by the way, too, yeah, I pray every morning. That's part yeah. of the routine as well, and and that's a huge part of it as well. And, but yeah, I um, I agree. I think yeah, you just have to. It's you just have to start. You just have to do it. It's an action. It's not a thought. I've been there before, though, in this where you know where I was in the darker place for a little period, and yeah, sure. and, and it had to get out of it. And you know, it took. It took, you know, like a moment where it was just like, holy shit. I like, or sorry, I can't that's, that's okay. It was just no, like, I, okay. I, you know, I'm going to die if I don't get out of this, like out of yeah. this mental state, you know. So it took that moment. And then that was the choice to then take a bunch of actions, you know. Who, who, in, who in your life, who in your life is your go to for support when, you know, where, where do you go to get your, your, yourself charged up when you kind of run out of energy? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah, in a like weird a big, way, big um, <laughs> I, I, I think I pull it from, um, like surprising, um, places or I guess surprising moments give me the energy, yeah. you know, like okay. it's, um, when I go, tell when me I about get what, there, tell me about one morning. of those moments. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about one of those moments. Okay. Um, one of those moments is that, um, I, um, here where I'm staying now, there's a good view outside of the spruce trees contrasting against the sky. And one morning when I was getting there and got there and was sitting there, um, or sorry, was having a hard time getting there, but I just thought about how 
beautiful it was. And that sounds cheesy, but I thought about this was all created for us. And it's, and I can't, you know, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to get to choose what I want to see, what I want to smell, what I want to hear, what I want to feel when I get out there into that beauty that was created for us out there, you know, and go out and have that experience. And it pulled me into being hyper present. And then from that present place, then it was easier to sort of get there. And and, um, that sort of regrounded me. And um, yeah, so it's like a moment like that. And then, yeah, just with other people too, obviously countless different little moments, you know, it could be just with a nurse. It could be Mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, often strangers throughout this Mm -hmm. journey, really connected with strangers that, random to you know synchronicity of the stranger so common on this journey 